Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we are going to look at Proper 25. Now, we're getting to the end now because there are 29 propers. And then what happens, Father Reed, what happens after that is we are in the season of Advent. And remember, the season of Advent is about the coming of Jesus. We are waiting for Jesus to come, and that takes four weeks. It's always four weeks, and then we celebrate Christmas the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus. Notice this proper and the next proper, we have Ecclesiasticus, Ecclesiasticus. Ecclesiasticus is in the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha was written prior to the coming of Jesus, about two to 300 years prior, B.C., and written in Greek, not in Hebrew. A couple of denominations believe it is the Word of God, like the Roman Catholic Church, but uh, the Anglican Communion does not accept the Apocrypha as the Word of God. But we put Apocrypha readings in the Daily Lectionary and sometimes in the Sunday Lectionary, but they are not the Word of God. And so I'm going to leave that alone, as I've said to you previously. So we are going to spend time in this program on Revelation and Luke. Revelation and Luke. Now you'll see that you have listed Revelation 11 through Revelation 13, and you see Luke chapter 11, verse 14, through Luke chapter 12, verse 48. All right? All right, let's go to Revelation. Now Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Revelation is a notoriously difficult book for several reasons. One, it is, if you will, the summing up of the entire Bible. And it presumes that the person knows the scriptural text prior to it. You would never want to read the Revelation, the book of Revelation cold. You would never want to read the book of Revelation just as the first book that you'd read of the Bible. You'd want to have a good understanding, a thorough understanding of the Old Testament. And you would have, you'd absolutely want to have a very strong understanding of the Gospels, the four Gospels, the writings of Paul, Hebrews, James, Peter, Jude, John. And then you have the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation is going to celebrate the uh, triumph of Jesus, his ascension into heaven, his coming back again. And it's going to set up for us heaven. And in those middle chapters, which we're looking at now, they can be quite difficult. Now, in fact, they're so difficult that they're way beyond what we're trying to do in this daily lectionary series. We spend about 25 minutes together, normally, about average. And my job is to encourage you to read these daily lectionary scriptures and to think about what they say and to pray about them. You might use a commentary. You might use uh, Bible study notes. Or you might just read it yourself and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. The problem with the book of Revelation, particularly these, these middle chapters, is they're not easy to understand. So I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm not going to launch into anything significant 
because that's not what we're trying to do in the daily lectionary. So if you feel like I'm passing over them fairly quickly, I am, <laughs> because I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to come up with some things that I think will help you personally. All right, chapter eleven. We have two witnesses. This is entitled "The Two Witnesses," and just let me read a couple of verses, and you'll see how impossible this is just reading it as it is. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. I'm not even going to try to tell you exactly what that means. Unless I was in a Bible study situation, which I hope to be here at the church that I'm serving, and literally go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter in Revelation so that we can um, understand uh, what he is saying. Go to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The Lord is going to reign. Here's the key point. God is going to be victorious. He is going to reign over heaven and earth. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. That's another key point. The worship of the Lord. Very, very, very important in Revelation. Particularly, I'm thinking of chapter 4 and 5. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. This is good theology also. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So God is a reigning king. He has a kingdom. His kingdom is everlasting. His kingdom is forever. That is a kingdom that uh, you and I can be a part of, assuming that we have a relationship with Christ and we are saved in Christ who saves us and gives us eternal life. The nations raged, with, but your wrath came. There's judgment on sin. And the time for the dead to be judged, for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So we have the saints, and we have the non-saints. We have the people that are saved. We have the people that are not saved. In 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened in the Ark of the Covenant, back in the Old Testament. The Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple, the temple that was built by Solomon. There were flashes of light, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. All right, let's go. And so that would be uh, looking at Revelation 11. Now, Revelation 12, the woman and the dragon. There have been so many interpretations of what this means throughout 2,000 plus years of church history, it's unbelievable. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant, she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his head seven diadems. Does anybody know absolutely what that means? There are commentators, biblical scholars, and lay people that give, and preachers, they give all kinds of views about this. There was a war in heaven, verse 7. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. 
And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Wow, now that's important theology. That's important truth. The deceiver of the whole world. No question that Satan is real. No question he's powerful. No question he's gone against Michael. No question he was cast out of heaven. No question that he's here. That's all true. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. We call them demons. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. The accuser of our, our, accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And that's what God, that Satan does. He accuses us. He deceives us. He lies to us, John 8. He is very, very dangerous. He is very, he's a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And they all conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. So the power of overthrowing the devil is the power of Christ. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. That's for sure. Great scripture. That's a very, very, very good scripture. Okay? Chapter 13, 1 through 10 and 11 to 18. Then the beast. <laughs> There's lots of literature on this subject too. I saw a beast rising out of the sea, verse 1. Ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems on his head, horns, and blasphemous names on his head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. So he describes him. And he describes a mortal womb that they have in verse 3. And they worship the dragon, for he has given his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Now again, this is a, a, one that is very antagonistic to God, is against God, and is extremely dangerous. Who the beast is, who the, all this is, and how this all works, lots of books have been written on the subject. Okay? And then he talks in verses 11 to 18 about the second beast. I saw another beast rising out of the earth. Two horns like a lamb spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. He makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs. So what does this all mean? And then finally we get to the very famous verse that some of you have heard about. And it causes all, verse 16, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. And that is, name, that is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This is the mark of the beast. And here's verse 18. It's chilling. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Its number is six, six, six. Now, the number of people that have guessed as to who the person is regarding the second beast is unbelievable. Do I know who it is? I have no idea. Then, Father Reed, what should we do with this information? Cling tightly to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Follow the Lord. Fear the Lord. Do his commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Trust the Lord. Stay close to him. Do not live in anxiety. Do not live in fear. Do not live in a state of trepidation. Trust the Lord. What does it mean? I don't really know exactly. No, I could study lots and lots of commentaries, and I might get lots and lots of different answers. Okay? Trust the Lord. But is John saying something? John's saying something significant. We just don't know completely what it is. Enjoy the reading and be aware of it. And prayerfully listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you. Now, on a subject that's a lot more easy to interpret, look at uh, Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 11, 14 to 26. Enjoy Revelation in those middle chapters. 11, 14. Now he's talking about Beelzebub. What's the, odd, what's the odds that we talk about a Beelzebub here? He was casting out a demon that was mute. The devil had gone out. The demon had gone out. The mute man spoke, and the people marveled. So Jesus, see, this is the key thing you got to remember. Jesus has power over the enemy. He has power over the great dragon, the ancient serpent, the deceiver of the whole world. And he's the only one that's strong enough to destroy him. And in his earthly ministry, Jesus did just that in his three-year ministry period. When an unclean spirit goes out of a person, verse 24, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings out seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So when you cast out an evil spirit, you want to fill that hole with something very positive because you do not want that spirit to come back, see the vacancy, and then come back to where they just were cast out. That's what he's saying there. Chapter 11, 27 to 36. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice, verse 27. Blessed is the womb that bore you, and blessed the breasts as at which you nursed. Here's Jesus' response to that. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's a very important word, people, and it's a very simple one. Hear the word of God and keep the word of God at all costs, as I reminded you from Revelation. The sign of Jonah. Remember we had read Jonah recently together? We looked at Jonah, and he was in the belly of the whale, and he vomited. God used the whale to get him in the right frame of mind, and he vomited. The whale vomited him out, and he went to Nineveh, and he preached, and the Ninevites repented in sackcloth and ashes. The lamp of the body, again, teaching of the Lord. So what we have in the scriptures, he's casting out devils. He's doing miracles. He's teaching them. Look at what he says in verse 35. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, verse 36, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp within us rays gives you light. We, we need the light of Christ. We need the power of Christ in us. We need to experience um, the power of, of the light of the world in our lives. In the second half of chapter 11, we have woe to the Pharisees and the lawyers. This is very comparable to Matthew 23, where Jesus gets very upset with dealing with the Pharisees. 
And of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are the religious leaders of Judaism. And they were the ones you would expect to have said uh, yes to Jesus and greeted him with open arms because, in fact, he is the Messiah. But they weren't. They became very difficult. And it was the poor and the downtrodden and the handicapped and the unloved that were very sensitive to Jesus and were very open to Jesus' word. And so here you have a very strong diatribe against the traditions of man and religiosity, if you will, and Jesus responds to that very, very, very strongly. Let's go to chapter 12. We are looking at verses 13 to 31. 13 to 31, the parable of the rich fool. Now, this is the person that builds up with material goods and is not rich toward God, verse um, 21, and is judged severely for that action, and their life is taken early. Fool, God says in verse 20, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose they will they be? So you and I want to always live in daily in the light of God's judgment on our sin and our the fact that we will event, eventually give an account, and we want to be ready about that. We want to be ready for the coming of the Lord in our lives. This is uh, Matthew 25 in the parable of uh, the wise and foolish virgins. The wise and foolish virgins. And we want to be prepared to meet the Lord so that we don't want to spend an inordinate amount of times building up our own kingdom when our life is required of us because what will we have built up? Nothing. So you want to build on a daily basis your life in Christ. That's very, very, very important. Then we look at 12, 32 to 48. And just it's just beautiful language from Jesus. Again, very much like the Sermon on the Mount for those of you that read uh, Matthew's Gospel 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, do not be anxious about your, your life, verse 22, what you will eat, your body, what you will put on. Don't be worried about all that. Your life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. He just got finished talking about this with the person, the rich fool, who spent all their time uh, building up their kingdom and their life is required of them. Consider the ravens. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? Consider the lilies. If God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, verse 28, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more would he clothe you, O you, a little faith? So instead, verse 31, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Remember I told you, blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those that seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. Now, it's one thing, brothers and sisters, for us to live well, but we need to know how we're going to do that and why we're going to do that. And Jesus' response to doing that is about the kingdom of God. It's about hearing the word of the Lord. It's about keeping the word of the Lord. It's about following Christ and doing what Christ says. This is very contra to you and I doing our own thing. Jesus establishes his authority in the gospel readings by doing these miraculous signs and wonders so that when he speaks, which is a very important part of the Gospels in his teaching, in his preaching, that we will seriously listen to him and amend our lives and follow him. Finally, we're looking at 12, 
32 to 48, and I've just went through 22 to 31. Fear not, little flock, verse 32. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give it to you. And so again, you read through those lines through 48, and he's, he's just, he's teaching you. You go very slowly over these lines as you're reading them daily. You listen to them. You pray about them. You look at the state of your life and where you are in dealing with these. Um, and he says, look at these lines. Look at this. Verse 40. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you don't expect. You want to be prepared for the Son of Man. The rich, young, the rich fool was not. He thought he was going to keep living a lot longer. It's now required of you. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Regardless of your age and how you feel and how you physically look. You must be ready. The Son of Man is coming. Who is the wise and faithful manager whose master will set over his household to give him the portion of food at the proper time, he says in verse 42. Blesses the servant whom his master will find him so doing when he comes. So you want to follow the master. You want to do what the Lord says as a servant of the Lord. You want to be faithful to the Lord. You want to be faithful with what he's asked you to do so that you have been entrusted much. He will entrust you with more and he will demand the more. What is that called? It's called stewardship. So we are not here to do our own thing and our own way and our own time. We are here to do the Lord's bidding, to do the Lord's work, to have the Lord come alongside of us and encourage us and empower us and to bless us for the glory and mercy of God and for, as I said earlier, us being lights before the, before the world and being a light in Christ to shine in dark places. Well, there's much to consider this week in these wonderful readings from Revelation and the Gospel of Luke in chapters 11 and 12. Enjoy your reading next week, and next week we'll be looking at Proper 26 in the Daily Lectionary. God bless you.